Now back to the Real Estate Talk Show with Simon Janini and Aaron McCoy on Talk Radio AM 640. Welcome back to the Real Estate Talk Show, your source for all things real estate. We're lucky to have our investor extraordinaire, our regular on this show, Victor Menashe here in studio. So welcome. Great to be here again. Now we're going to talk all things investing. Are yes. you good with that? Absolutely. All right, here we go. Let's see how many we can get through here. So you invest all around the U.S., and what are the market conditions you look for when considering an investment? You know, I approach real estate the same as I would any any other business. I'm looking for the laws of supply and demand. So I want those situations where the demand exceeds supply. So, for example, right now we're looking at a project um, in, in Dallas, Texas. Okay. University of Texas at Arlington. It's a campus of 30,000 students. They have housing for 5,000 students within walking distance of the campus. That's it. That's it. There's no public transit. So 25,000 students commute in Dallas traffic every day to get to school. Now, I know our listeners, their mouths are dropping because you've just said that Dallas doesn't have a public transportation system, probably the same population uh, as Toronto. So they're just going to be shaking their heads in, in, in complete awe. And then on top of that, there is a severe housing shortage to service those students. Absolutely. So wow. it doesn't matter if I build 30 units, I'm not satisfying the demand. If I build 300, I'm not satisfying the demand. If I build 500, I'm still not satisfying. So that's a win-win in Absolutely. terms of you know you've got a captivated audience, so to speak. Absolutely. And right, right next to the campus, just to the east of the campus, there's a blight neighborhood that the city of Arlington would be just itching for us to bulldoze. They'll put fuel in the bulldozer for us. They're, they really want to enable developers to come in there and, and help build out the area. Okay, I have to ask this, and I'm sure our listeners are thinking the same. Why is this not being handled and done? Well, there is some development going on. There have been a couple of large projects built to the northwest of the campus already. The east side of the campus hasn't been developed, and so that's what we're focusing on. It's, again, always those situations where there's an economic driver, and I'm looking for that very local economic driver. If you look, for example, uh, the north end of Houston, ExxonMobil is building a new headquarters. That's going to bring 30,000 people directly into that. Due to jobs. Due to jobs, absolutely. So, you know, we've been placing offers on large multi-unit complexes in that area. We haven't picked up any because they're charging too much, but we're still working in that area, seeing what we can do. Okay, now you brought up a very good point there. You're open, you're watching, you're paying attention to what's going on, the trends, you know, of course, population shifts or where they're moving to, or you're also looking at how you can fill a need. Is that the right thing to say? You're, That's exactly right. Okay. And, and so, you know, some of those areas, for example, you know, north end of Houston, there are some large multi-unit complexes, some of them 20, 30 years old. Um, some of them are ready to be repositioned with a lot of that new uh, population, uh, you know, with, with strong income coming into the area, there is going to be that, that demand for housing. So there's opportunity to reposition a lot of those. So perfect recipe right there where you can take something that's there, but because of the growth of the new influx of yeah. population, you can turn that into a masterpiece to service that demand. But you brought up a great point earlier, and that is it's about buying it at the right price. It's absolutely buying it at the right price. Um, you know, we've, we, we've seen a lot of projects. You know, we placed an offer on a, on a complex uh, two weeks ago. Uh, it was a 256-unit complex, and there were 29 bidders on that on that project. We didn't win it. Uh, we just weren't willing to pay those kind of prices. So you have to know the price that you're willing to pay to, to do your numbers to understand, really, if there's the right return Correct. on that kind of investment. Correct. And some people will overpay, and those are the ones that you say, good luck on you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but if you really do your numbers, you should know when to quit. Now, I know both you and I will agree that, of course, there's no better way to increase our personal wealth than through real estate. Correct. Mistakes in real estate can be costly, just like in any form of business, but what types of properties are you investing in? You've given us a few examples, and has that changed in the past few years? 
I think uh, probably the biggest change that's occurred in the market in the last 12, 24 months is, you know, market prices have come up. Mm -hmm. If you go back two years, you could still buy things well below construction cost. And it made an awful lot of We're sense. talking stateside right In the now. U.S., absolutely, yeah. Okay. yeah. Uh, you could buy things well below construction cost, and you could renovate them usually for pennies on the dollar and deliver a product that was going to be much more competitive than building new. Today, prices have come up, and in certain select areas where the values make sense, it makes sense to build. And I'd say right now, 60% of what we're doing is new construction. Interesting. Okay, yeah. so, so that's that a big a, shift. That's a huge shift yeah. in a couple of years. Yeah. All right. Now let's talk about that exchange rate. I know that a lot yeah. of people you dabble in, of course, they're south of the border. Their money is already in U.S. dollars. But I also know that there's lots of people that play south and, and uh, they're using their Canadian dollars. Yeah, it, it, you know, and I've never been one to speculate on currency. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really can't predict that. No, Very few people can, can accurately. Right. Um, Sometimes we win that one. Sometimes we lose. You know, <laughs> um, you know, we had we moved some money, um, you know, from November to January this this past year, and experienced almost a ten percent drop in the Canadian dollar. And you know, we we got hit with some foreign exchange losses bigger yeah. than I would have wanted. But you know, as often as that happens, it goes the other way, and we win. Is there anything that people can do that are considering to invest stateside uh, to protect themselves in that regard? Probably the number one thing I would say is if you're going to be in there for the long term. Keep money in U.S. dollars, even if you're going to yeah. bring it across the border. You know, open a, a U.S. dollar account in your Canadian bank and leave the funds in U.S. dollars. That's a great idea. Right? Yeah, that's hedging your bets a little bit, isn't it? Yeah. So, so we keep a fair amount of capital. You know, we keep our liquidity pretty evenly split. Actually, a little bit more heavily weighted to the U.S. I side. I was going to say, yeah. yeah, just hearing and knowing you. Yeah. Um, now, we also know that in terms of real estate, there's two forms of investing. You've got that active and passive yes. uh, type of, and forms. Um, but also, a lot of people don't realize that the long term, I want you to touch upon this. You know, there's ways in which, yes, you know, you can in short term refurbish and people know the whole flipping component and all these different ways in which they think you can make a quick buck. And sometimes it's it's truthful. There right. are there are ways. But let's touch upon real estate as a long term hold and how beneficial that has been. Patience is a wonderful thing in this in this industry. It, it, it is. And the way that we structure our, deal, our deals is we focus, in fact, the vast majority of our portfolio is all, all long term hold. We okay. do very little flipping. So very, very listeners, little. pay attention. Yeah. But okay. what we do is we structure our deals in such a way that they are actually short-term investments. Okay, so you're explain. Probably, yeah, you're probably saying, well, how does that work? <laughs> so, so typically what we'll do is we go into an area where we can generate sufficient value. So I'll give you an example. Let's take a fourplex in Philadelphia, okay? We'll buy the land fairly inexpensively, maybe spend 40, 50 grand on the land. We'll spend about 300,000 um, on the construction. Okay. okay. So now we're into it for about 330 plus a little bit of soft costs. That property will appraise at about 560. Just by doing that? Yes, because okay. of the area in which we've purchased. We've created enough value that we've got an appraised value that's significantly above our total investment. So now we've got a lift there, and we can go refinance that property at 70% loan to value with a bank, just a conventional lender, and recoup 100% of our invested cash. So you, you can pull that money back out. Pull the money and back go out. Do it again. And go do it again. It's exactly right. All right. Very good. Now, there's been a lot of talk about hedge funds and private equity groups buying large portfolios of single-family homes in major U.S. markets. What are you seeing in terms of hedge fund activity, and how is it affecting the market dynamics? You know, it's been interesting watching the hedge funds over the last uh, over the last year. They and were, explain to our, if you don't mind, yeah, the, most will know, but let's just make sure for everybody's sake. Sure. So we're talking about the very large private equity firms. These are companies like uh, Blackstone and um, uh, Bain Capital. Bain Capital was Mitt Romney's company. Mm-hmm. Uh, many 
people will re- will remember that. And so we're talking about companies that have assets in the billions. They will typically raise a fund. Even some of the smaller ones, like Golden Gate Capital, they'll you know raise two to three billion in a fund, and then they'll go put that money to work. Generally, most hedge funds, most private equity firms, are looking uh, on a 24 to 36 month horizon to uh, to recoup their investment. They will leverage the investments pretty heavily. Doesn't matter whether they're buying a company or real estate portfolio. Okay. Um, and so when we saw these companies going into markets, buying portfolios of single family homes, buying them very cheaply. Obviously, hoping to make a buck on it as the markets come back. Um, we, you know, I, I certainly looked at it and said, you know, they're going to want to start divesting 24 to 36 months from now. So what's going to happen? And when you mean divesting, it means pulling their money back out. Pulling their money back okay. out, starting to sell those properties. And in fact, we're starting to see that. We saw 500 properties go on the market in Chicago this past month. Wow. Okay. Uh, from private equity firms. Now, you know, we don't want to see them flood the market because that's going to push prices down again. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it'll be a question of how quickly they will, quote unquote, trickle them out and uh, and what will be the market dynamics. And they don't have a responsibility per se. I mean, they can go ahead and do as they wish. There's no control measures in place. But as you right. pointed out before, it's all about supply and demand. So yep. when you've got 500 units or more all of a sudden flooding the marketplace, well, the now, natu- these are these are tenanted properties, okay. right? So they you know they've turned them into income properties yep. and they're selling them to other investors. Okay, right? but still, it yeah. still is something. It's a product that it's a piece of real estate that's being sold. Correct. Yeah. So it's perception. Uh, at the end of the day, that can take prices and, and drag them down. It can. It yeah. Can. All right, Victor, I can tell ears are burning out there. People are wanting to reach out to you to learn more. So how can they do so? Well, I wrote a book called The Great Canadian Takeover, and I wrote that book because I really sensed a void in the marketplace. Canadians spent $18.5 billion on U.S. real estate last year, and for a market of that size, there's precious little been written about it, especially since the meltdown that occurred in U.S. real estate. So go read my book. I mean, there's a lot of information in terms of actually how we manage our business. Uh, so it's not, you know, some uh, academic piece of work. It's actually what we do. It's a wonderful read. So people can go on your website, remind them how? GreatCanadianTakeover.com. And, of course, the book and all the information is on there? Absolutely. Very good. Thank you again for joining us. My pleasure. We need to take a short break, but when we return, we will be unveiling our investment pick of the week, which is an amazing opportunity in phase three of the coveted River City development. And joining us in studio will be Jazz Takar to tell us all about it, so you'll definitely want to stick around for that to learn more about this incredible investment opportunity. And later on the show, we have Glenn Poloso and Jamie Alexander from Poloso Alexander Interiors, and they'll be here to discuss what's trending in both commercial and residential interior design, as well as answering some of your listener questions. If you've got questions, we have the answers. Just go to realestatetalkshow.ca to ask your question or call our help desk anytime at 416-366-9090. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at Real Talk Show. You're listening to the Real Estate Talk Show right here on Talk Radio AM 640, so stay with us. 